Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. And we're really going to focus this week on earnings. When companies release their earnings, what does that mean? What can we do with the data? And how are the earnings expected to go? And how have they been going so far since the pandemic began? There's some really interesting things that are going to come out of that. I'm also going to talk about an update on how you pay back the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, if you took part in that as part of the CARES Act. So we're going to look at that in this week's show as well. But let's get started with some market data. And this is for the week that ended October 9th, 2020. It was a great week in the stock market, in spite of how it looked like you'd turn on one day, it's up 500, the next day it's down 500. Well, most of the decline actually didn't happen last week. It was the preceding week. So last week, the Dow went up a little over three and a quarter percent. The S&P 500 did better than that, up over three and three quarters percent. And the winner of the week was the NASDAQ, up a little over than 4.5%. Those are huge weekly market gains. When you think in terms of the long-term average of um, for a year, the market to go up, it's 11%. So when you have a week that you're up 3 and 4%, that's a tremendously major gain. Even gold got in on the act, up a little over 3 quarters of a percent. West Texas Intermediate Crude was up about 2.5%. The 10-year Treasury yield is up, probably as a function of the markets doing well, because yields tend to drop when lots of people are buying bonds, and you don't have to pay them as much to get them to buy it. So this week, because the market was doing so well, the Treasury yield went up a little bit to entice purchasers. So it was up 7.89%. The dollar was down a little less than half a percent. Remember, we've been tracking the dollar recently. Just because there was so much news earlier in the year about, oh, what's happening with the dollar? And the answer is pretty much it's rocking along like it always does. Now, when I was looking at the market data for this segment, I found something really interesting, and it's related to earnings. I wanted to share it with you. We generally think of the market as being the S&P 500, right? We think of it as an index, and so we look at how the index is doing. Except when you break that index apart, you find out that the companies in the S&P 500 have done really differently since February when the pandemic started. So if you look at the market cap change, so basically how much it went up since February 19th, you see that the top 100, the 100 biggest companies went up by 3.8%. However, for the next 100, so um, companies 100 to 200, 
it went down by 3.9. 200 to 300 went down by 5.4. 300 to 400 went down by 6.7. And 400 to 500 went down 26.6%. So what you see is this great market rally that we've been having is not a function of a fabulous overall economy. It's, a, it's, it's the result of the top 100 biggest companies doing great and everything else struggling. So I think it's important to know that. I think it's important to realize that, yes, the market is doing well. But I've said on other episodes of the radio show and the podcast, just because the market's doing well doesn't mean the economy is doing well. And I think this breakdown that the only place there's actually good news is the top 100 companies of the S&P 500 and everything else is down. Now, the data that I saw didn't go into mid cap and small cap. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if there are winners in those sectors at all, it would be a very few companies because the 100 to 500 is company size. And mid cap is smaller than large cap. And obviously, small cap is smaller than mid cap. So if you're in a lot of trouble by stocks 400 to 500, I'm guessing the earnings of the other companies aren't going to be a lot better. So just keep that in mind. Yes, it looks great. I'm really glad the market's going up. But we need to be careful that we don't read too much into it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I would love to be able to give you an update on a new stimulus package related to the coronavirus. Unfortunately, the plans have changed three times since I taped last week's show. So we've gone from no stimulus at all to the president wanting a large stimulus package and the Senate saying they won't do it, to the Senate saying they'll do something small and the House saying that they won't do that. I really do think at this point, it's unlikely that there will be another stimulus package anytime soon, which is unfortunate because I know a lot of people are hurting. I know a lot of people were really hoping for an additional stimulus check If you're a small business owner, you were hoping for another PPP package. But right now, and I'm not probably going to even bother discussing this going forward on the other shows, unless there's something that's like already happened. It just feels like when I report what they say they're going to do, it's never what actually happens. So do not think that the aid around coronavirus isn't something that I don't care about. But I just don't think it makes any sense for me to give you the rumor of the day because so far, every single thing I've told you has ended up not being true. So I'm not sure. It doesn't look very promising. We'll just have to go from there. Now, there is some news. If you are a small business owner and you took uh, you took advantage of the PPP loan, remember PPP allowed you to get payroll money based off of your average payroll from last year. And it went to you in the form of a loan. And then if you followed the rules and you used it for payroll within a certain percentage, 
that loan did not need to be repaid. So for most people, they've been out of PPP money now for months because it had to be used within a certain period of time. And the question is now, how do you get forgiveness for that so you don't have to repay the loan? And there was some clarification just this last week from the um, Treasury Department. And this actually came out, I think, on October 8th was when the announcement was. A lot of people were hoping, especially banks, were hoping that every loan under $150,000 would just be forgiven automatically. And the reason the banks were hoping that that would be what would happen is that means they could just write it off. They knew they'd get reimbursed by the government for the money. There's no paperwork. There's no writing things down. It would have been tremendously easier had those loans simply been forgiven. However, it doesn't look like that's what's going to happen. Instead, it looks like there's going to be two different loan forgiveness applications. One if you took more than $150,000 and one if you took less than $150,000. So since I'm guessing most of the people listening to this show probably got a PPP of less than $150,000, this is really important for you to pay attention to. You cannot just ignore this, move on down the road, and assume that that loan will be forgiven because there's a form. Now, the last time I called my bank, they didn't know when the forms were actually going to be ready. I read in the articles that I'm looking at that they actually started accepting forms on October 2nd, but nobody was filling them out because they were hoping that there would just be some automatic forgiveness going on with it. What I'm going to suggest to you, if you borrowed or um, got a loan for less than $150,000 as part of the PPP program, the Payroll Protection Program, as part of the CARES Act last spring, I would go ahead and contact the lending institution where I got the money from. Because if they have the form, Go ahead and fill it out. It's not going to be that difficult to prove. If you use a payroll service, you should be able to just pull payroll reports. If you just write checks to employees, then you should be able to use the checks. I would go ahead and get it done because I know you have plenty of time and the worst thing that happens is you take the time to fill out the form now and then it ends up being forgiven later and so you did a step you didn't need to take. My fear is that it would be very easy, as completely upside down as our world is right now, to forget to fill this form out. So if the form's available, go ahead, fill it out, get the forgiveness. Now, if you didn't use the money the way you were supposed to, remember this was supposed to be a payroll protection. It was not supposed to be used for a lot of other business expenses. You could use it for rent, you could use it for mortgage interest, but only up to a certain percentage. If you took the money and you didn't use it for what you were supposed to use it for, and you borrowed less than $150,000, I think all you can do is wait and hope and see if it gets forgiven. Because if you fill out the paperwork that says it wasn't used as it was supposed to, I don't know if you'd trigger repayment or not. 
But most of the people that, in fact, every person that I know who took this program was trying to save their employees. And so they actually use it for what they were supposed to be doing. And so if you did, I'd go ahead and finish the paperwork on out before it gets to be the holidays. And then suddenly the holidays is going to become spring break and nothing is normal. I heard someone say the days are long and the weeks are short right now. So go ahead and get it finished. Get that forgiveness. Get that letter. Save that letter. Now, if you're listening to the show and you've earned more than $150,000, you always had to fill out a payroll forgiveness form to get the loan forgiven. So if you also use that money the way you were supposed to, go ahead and fill out that form and get it done. I think your form is more complicated. According to what came out last week, there's a simple form for under 150 and a more complex form for over 150. So if you're not sure when you get the form, talk to your banker, look and see what sort of resources are available. As I learn more about the resources available to help people with these forms, I'll share it on the show. I'll try to help you get through this. But in the meantime, your bank really should be able to help out. But if you took more than 150, nobody is suggesting that that's going to get forgiven without paperwork. So go ahead and get the form and get started on it. And that way, you know that you won't have made a mistake. You'll get the confirmation back and you'll know that money is yours to keep. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about earnings because this week is the kickoff of the earnings season. And in fact, Alcoa, the aluminum company, the ticker symbol is AA, announces its earnings on Thursday, October 14th. And you always know it's earnings season when Alcoa leads off with its earnings. Now, I have no idea what their earnings are going to come in as, so I'm not saying you should or should not buy Alcoa, but you always know it's earnings seasons when um, Alcoa begins to report. So all publicly traded companies have to report their earnings. That's part of the law. And so when you're trying to look at a company to see how healthy it is financially, looking at the earnings is a good place to start. Now, you have to be careful because earnings can be um, delivered different ways. And especially if you're looking at an analyst report, you want to be careful that you know what information you're looking at. So you can have just plain old earnings before taxes. Okay, you and I would call that pre-tax income. And if you're looking at the acronym, it's EBT. It's not a very common way that earnings are reported, but some analysts look at it that way. You may also see it as earnings before interest and taxes, and that takes the acronym EBIT, E-B-I-T. And then still other analysts look at it as EBITDA. And you probably have heard of that terminology if you've heard of any of this. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So that's E-B-I-T-D-A, EBITDA. 
Now, if you think about it, if you're looking at earnings before any of those things are taken off, you're going to see a higher level of earnings than if they're subtracted out. So, you know, a lot of times the amortization, the depreciation shows before you actually look at what the income level is. But if you subtract all of that out, it gives you a higher earnings number. So you need to be careful when you're looking at earnings data that you're comparing apples to apples and that you understand what the people who are reporting this data have done to the data before they let you see it. So obviously they're wanting to report the best numbers that they can. And so they're trying to show as many earnings as they can. So EBITDA is a very common way that earnings are reported. But here's the thing, earnings in and of themselves are not really that useful. Now, they were useful back in 2000 when companies did not have any earnings at all. Remember the beginning of the dot-com bubble and the further into it we got, they started using terms like, oh, it's a new economy. And companies don't need earnings right now because they have so much earnings potential. Well, the problem with that was, in fact, companies did need to make money or they closed their doors forever. So you always want to be very careful when somebody starts getting squirrely with you on whether or not um, a financial measure actually counts, whether it's something you should think about. And now this is just my opinion, um, and I try not to give a lot of opinions on this show, but my opinion is if you're considering buying any sort of a company, I would hope they had earnings. I would hope you were buying something more than potential. You should at least know what you're doing, and you should know whether or not the earnings that they're reporting are being reported before or after all their costs are taken out. Now, earnings are often used in something called a P-E ratio. And again, if you follow the business channel at all, you may have heard of a P-E ratio. That is price to earnings or price as the numerator divided by earnings as the denominator. Well, what's the price? The price is the price of the stock. And the earnings is the money that the company makes. So think about that. The bigger the price to earnings ratio is, the more expensive the stock is compared to the earnings. So if the price is five and the earnings are one, you have a ratio of five over one, right? And so now you would have a PE ratio of five. But if it were reversed and the price were one and the earnings were five, now you'd be at 20%. So when you're trying to figure out whether or not a ratio is good or bad, put it into numbers that are easy for you to do in your head and then look to decide, do I want a stock that's really expensive compared to how much earnings it has or do I want a stock that might be cheaper compared to the earnings it has? Now, I'll tell you right now, that's not as straightforward as it just sounded. So you've got to be very careful that you really know what you're doing and you've really done a lot of research 
before you start looking at price-to-earnings ratios. Additionally, price-to-earnings ratios can be calculated different ways. So you can do the trailing 12-month earnings. So you look at how much money they made over the last year, and that's averaged together, and then that becomes the earnings number that you're using. Forward earnings are future earnings. And now this raises a really interesting problem when it comes to how we analyze stocks and what financial advisors are and are not supposed to tell you. Because everyone says the past can't predict the future. That's part of the disclaimer you'll see on every single thing that you're doing. However, at the end of the day, you're hoping that you know what's going on in the future because it's the future that will determine what the stock price does. However, just because a company tells you that we think we're going to make these earnings in the future, there is no guarantee that they're correct. So we keep going back and forth. It's, it's almost like a jousting match as to what you do with this. What I would tell you is if you're really wanting to use forward earnings as your guide, you need to do a deep dive into why they think those earnings numbers are going to be those numbers. And you need to know that you're going to, by default, be making an assumption. And so, you know, maybe it is the earnings number you want to use in your analysis, but you've got to understand how they got there how they got those earnings projections. Because I could be a CEO and maybe I didn't make any money this year, but I've got a great idea. Next year, we're going to make a killing. Let me tell you about those forward earnings. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm not. I don't trust me. So you need to be very careful you understand it. Now, the most conservative is the Schiller P.E. ratio, and that's the price divided by the earnings over the last 10 years adjusted for inflation. So that is a huge metric to see how the company is done. You know, a lot of times people use forward earnings because they don't have 10 years of data because the company's not 10 years old. You need to know that too. One more thing about PE ratios. They're not generally looked at individually. They're used to compare stock A to stock B or index A to index B, or mutual fund A to mutual fund B. So it's a comparative. If the price for earnings of one is lower than the price per earnings of the other, a value investor would tell you the cheaper is better. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you need to pay attention to it. And different sectors average different P.E. ratios. So the technology sector, the financial sector, the consumer non-discretionary sector, they all have average P.E.s. So you should compare the P of what you're looking at to the P.E. of what your what its basis should be to make sure that things are in line. So make sure you understand the earnings Make sure you understand the P.E. ratio and make sure you know what to do with it once you've calculated it. And it gives you a very good fundamental tool as you're trying to make investment decisions. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. 
And I have gotten a question over and over again since this pandemic started last spring. And it goes something along like, Peggy, I'm really worried about losing money in the stock market right now, and so I don't think I should fund my company retirement plan. What do you think? Well, this is a complicated question, and I want to start out by addressing some basic pieces behind your retirement investment. I hope that you have done some research, or I hope you're working with a certified financial planner practitioner so that you understand what kind of risk you're taking in your retirement money. And as a function of that risk, how much return your financial planner thinks would be reasonable to expect on a long-term average basis. Because see, that number is what we use when we help create a retirement projection. If you're trying to see how much money you need to retire, then you have to put a growth rate into it. So the growth rate you use is a function of how the money is invested in the portfolio. So you want to be very careful before you say, I think I'll just quit investing because you'll throw that number sideways and suddenly the growth rate that you thought you were going to be making or that you calculated isn't going to be correct. And the number you'll make will be smaller than the number that you've actually earned. So that's the first problem with stopping to invest the money. The next piece is your risk tolerance. And I hope that you took some real time and thought about your risk tolerance as you filled it out. So the risk tolerance is basically how much stomach for risk you have. How worried are you? When do you need the money? What do you need to do with the money? And so with a good risk tolerance, if you have a moderate allocation, it's going to not move as drastically as if you have an aggressive allocation. Now, the money that you need to make for your retirement projection and the return you can expect through your risk tolerance need to be in keeping with each other. And I see a lot of times people use one number for one, and then they don't follow through and do the same sort of action in their risk tolerance. Anything is acceptable. There's no wrong way to do this, but you have to be very, very careful that it matches. If you've gone through all of these steps, you probably don't want to stop investing. It is so easy to get backwards to the market and you're selling as the market is going up because you're afraid. And then just about the time that it's at its peak and you're like, wow, I've missed this, then you start buying. And then as you buy, it goes down. And I see this happen a lot. This is why people say don't time the market. All right, now, Having said all of that, if you literally are not sleeping at night, you're losing your mind and you're like, well, I don't care. I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> Let me give you one final strategy, and that is keep funding the plan, but you don't have to keep your same asset allocation. In other words, if it was going in stocks before, the new money that you're putting into the plan could go into money market or stable value. Now you want to do this for two reasons. Number one, it is incredibly important to keep putting money back for your retirement. 
Okay, if you stop funding the plan, it's so likely that you'll wait too long to start funding it again. And even though all of the textbooks will tell you not to change your investing strategy, if you're going to stop funding it, then continue to fund it, but maybe think about putting it into something safer for a while. You also lose the ability to take advantage of a company match. So if you put in money and your employer puts in money because you did, that's instantly, like if it's 3% and 3%, that's a 100% rate of return on that money that you put in. So especially if your employer matches, you need to fund. Even if they don't, you need to fund. You can change the asset allocation. However, here's my last piece of advice. Have a strategy for how you're going to get back into the correct allocation once you feel comfortable enough to do it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.